The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Once again, welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're going drag racing again today. Our guest is a current NHRA Drag Racing Series Pro Stock driver for KB Racing. Say that fast three times. Driving the Hendrick Automotive Group Chevrolet Camaro. Five-time NHRA Camping World Pro Stock World Champion, 99 career Pro Stock wins. That's huge. Say hi to Greg Anderson. Greg, this is Mike Wallace. Greg, Mr. (laughs) Five-time. Mike, Mike, how are you? <laughs> I'm perfect, but I really appreciate you joining us. And allow me to start by congratulating you on your fifth national championship, along with a win on that day, bringing your total to 99 wins. That's incredible. Yeah, it's been quite a run, buddy. You know, it, it's been, I guess, 10, 11 years since I, I, I got the job done, so to speak, and won the championship. So it's been a bit of a dry spell for me. Yeah, there's been plenty of race wins along the way but you know as well as i do it's all about that championship and somehow some way i've just not been able to get the job done for the last 10 years and i've i've lost some heartbreakers at the last race of the year 
and finally this year it, it returned to favor and, and I I had great success at Pomona this time I closed the deal and, and got my fifth championship so still got a smile on my face been two weeks now and I'm still smiling I'm thrilled to death I actually watched the race on television and I uh Years back, you and I did an appearance somewhere, some autograph sessions, Stocks for Tots or something like that here in the Mooresville area. And you were always so serious. And I told you one day, I said, you, after you win a race, you're still serious. You're not smiling or anything. And that was many years ago, early in your win careers. And I watched this race with you winning the championship and winning the race. And it made me smile because all you were doing was smiling. So <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, bud. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I remember those talks. And it's it wasn't just one autograph signing that you mentioned that to me. It was several times, and it stuck with me. It absolutely sticks with me, and, and I've tried to do a better job of that, buddy. I've tried to make sure I remind myself how much fun this is and how lucky I am to do what I do. So, yeah, it's, it's all about winning, and that's what we get our most joy out of. But the bottom line is, we're so dang lucky to be able to do what we do anyway. We should be smiling, win or lose. So yeah, that's, At the end of the day, true. winning is serious business. What everybody grades you by, you know. It's, it's you've done it long enough now. I guess I've done it long enough that anything but winning just doesn't seem to get it done. But still, I have to realize sometimes. And I think that's part of the reason that you don't win as as often as you think you should. You you make too much of it and you get too serious about it and you get all kinds of crazy thoughts in your head and you think it's life or death if you win or lose and and a lot of times that blocks you. That gets in your way. So. You know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, the conversations we've had, Mike, and, and you're dead, dead accurate. Well, we're going to come back to current day racing a little bit, but what I'd like to do, and you got to picture the people that are listening, the fans that are listening to their show or sitting back there, they're fans of Greg Anderson. They think they know him, but they don't know the backstory. So Greg Anderson was born in Minnesota. How did you ever get involved in racing or drag racing? What was the – the f earliest memory you have of having interest in motorsports? Well, it's kind of crazy, Mike. You're right. I, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, which, you know, nine months of the year is wintertime up there. So it's hard to race anyway, except snowmobiles, you know. But we did that, too. Don't get me wrong. We, we <laughs> raced snowmobiles, too. But my dad drag raced. When I was a young teenager, my dad drag raced. And he would take myself and, and my two brothers to the races on weekends. We would travel you know the five state area up there and and he didn't race professionally or anything but he raced the five state area and he would go as often as he could and i think i probably started that by the time i was 12 13 14 years old it carrying water jugs up up in the staging lanes to cool the car down in between runs and i just it, it's a crazy deal it's a crazy sport it's like once you get your first taste of it you're hooked i mean you're in there's nothing you can do to get out you can try as hard as you want and you just can't seem to get out it's it's really it definitely grabbed you. It definitely hooked you, and it hooked me. And through those years as I was growing up, a young teenager, he, he raced periodically, and, and he became very good friends with a gentleman out of Minneapolis that raced pro stock. His name was John Hagen, and he raced pro stock, so, um, you know, on a more professional-type level. And uh, my dad became real good friends with him. And basically, as my dad kind of tapered off on the racing, he got me hooked up with him. And I started traveling, going to the races with this John Hagen in, in racing pro stock. And that went on for a couple of years. And the day I graduated high school, I basically started doing that full time. My dad had a used car lot in town, and I worked for him during the week. And I'd pack up on the weekend, and I'd go to Minneapolis, and we'd travel wherever we were going across the country, and we'd race pro stock with John Hagen. And unfortunately, he was killed in 1983 in Brainerd in a, in a, in a heck of an accident up there. And 
that basically knocked the wind out of my sails. I didn't want to do it anymore, and it was just a crushing deal right in front of my eyes and, and instantly killed him. Car tumbled and tumbled, must have been 20 times. So it was the craziest thing you'd ever seen and, and just completely shocked my life. So went back home, went to work for my dad at the, at the car lot for the next four or five years and pretty much thought I was done with it. It, it hurt me so bad, I pretty much thought I was done with it. And then one day I got a call from Kurt Johnson, Warren Johnson's son, who they were also from Minnesota, but they had moved to Atlanta, Georgia, so they could race full-time professionally instead of the only three months a year you get in a, in a frozen tundra up there. So I got a call from him, and he was like, are you ready to get back into this? And I guess I had healed by then, and I was ready to jump back in. So I packed my things, and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and took a job for Warren Johnson, and Worked for him for 12 years and gradually became a crew chief. So probably the last seven or eight years, I was Warren Johnson's crew chief. We won a lot of races together. He taught me a ton. He's absolutely the professor of pro stock, and, and I learned a million things from him and basically was there for 12 years. And it, it was a great education. It was quite a university. And one day, I think myself and his son, Kurt, were – critiquing his driving <laughs> tell him how he needed to be doing this and how he needed to be doing that and why he wasn't winning more races even though he had the most powerful car out there and he got mad at us and he said that's it i'm done with you guys yelling at me and telling me how to drive i'm going to send both of you to roy hills drag racing driving school and i'm going <laughs> to teach you both how to drive one of these damn things and hopefully that'll quiet you down on trying to tell me what i'm what i'm doing wrong so he did that and the very next day kurt was out looking for a ride, and he got himself a pro stock ride. I couldn't do that because I was, you know, Warren's crew chief, and I needed the job. So I had to continue on as Warren's crew chief, and Warren was getting towards the end of his career, and he, he kept telling me, look, I'm only going to do this another year or so, and then I'll give you a shot at driving one of these things. And, and make a long story short, that went on for two, three, four years, and I finally came to the conclusion he was never going to get out of the car. He obviously liked it too much, so I, uh, I got an opportunity with my future wife's father and uh, his name was troy humphrey and he gave me my first chance at driving one of these things and that's uh, that's where the second career began the first career was as a, a crew guy and a crew chief and my second career has been driving one so two separate careers and, and two very fulfilling careers to be honest with you but it's it's been quite a role sounds amazing sounds like you had tremendous success just backing up a little bit so kurt johnson called you five years retired basically you're out of racing it was a devastating deal with john hagan what what do you think kurt johnson knew about uh greg anderson at that time that he wanted to, you to come down and work with him i mean were you well, that he, that good or that aggressive or just just a great well, guy we had, basically, we had basically raced against him john hagan and, and warren johnson were kind of the two kingpins in, in division five they called it the, the north central division which was the five state area around minnesota and Warren was probably number one dog, and John Hagen was number two dog, and they duked it out all the time up there. And I, you know, worked with with John Hagen, so they they knew me from the racetrack. They they knew me for racing against me. So yeah, I guess they they had an inkling that maybe I had something that they could use, and and they gave me the opportunity. So you know, very thankful for that. And it just goes to show you, you gotta you gotta be right to people, no matter who it is or where it is, you never know when your paths are going to cross again and somebody can offer you an opportunity. And it, it's all timing, this whole deal. you got to, you know, get the right opportunity at the right time. And I did there and because, you know, I had a good relationship while we were racing against him in Minnesota. 
great. So when you went to when you went to the professor Warren Johnson, and I guess he got that nickname because he won a lot of races and apparently was really smart in drag racing, right? Yep, yep, yep. very smart. So Wasn't anything he couldn't do. The guy was he was jack of all trades. Not only could he you know drive the race car, he could build the engine, he could build the truck trailer, he could do anything, anything you needed to be done. He would, he's done it before. He had worked in in several different fab shops and, and pipe companies and, and run different businesses. And I don't know. He, he was from that that northern area that they just learned how to work when you're young. I guess it's too damn cold to sit around, so you got to work to stay warm. And that's what you learn in Minnesota. And he had that. And the guy could do anything, and he would work circles around you. He was. I, I consider myself a fairly hard worker. But you were not going to outwork Warren Johnson. He was there every morning before you'd get there, no matter what hour of day it was, and he was there when you'd leave, no matter how late you stayed. So, so he knew what he was doing. Perfect. So when you went to Warren Johnson, and I remember growing up in that era where Warren Johnson was the man. He was the Greg Anderson of years back. So yep. w when you first rolled in the shop there, was there anything different about Warren Johnson's shop than what, john hagan's was was it cooler fancier not as fancy stuff they had you didn't have was there anything that jumped out at yeah, you and said wow it was absolutely a major step forward he had a, a tremendous shop which was outfitted with with every machine you could imagine he even had a couple cnc machines so yeah it was head and shoulders above what i was used to up in minnesota at john hagan's shop he had the, a, a garage in the back of his hardware store basically is what he had so it was a major step forward, and I thought it was the opportunity of a lifetime, and it turned out to be that. It absolutely was, and he had—he was one of those guys that that he he expects a lot out of you, but he but he trusts you. He he'll hand you the keys to to anything. He'll he'll hand you the opportunity to do anything. He doesn't micromanage stuff. He just tells you, "Here's what I need done. Go do it." And unless you came, you know, begging for for help from him, he'd leave you alone, and he trusts you to get the job done right. So. He put a lot of faith in people, and, and you know, I give him credit for that, because you know that's a heck of a risk with the the, the opportunity that I had. You know, you're, you're you're basically dealing with someone's life going up and down the racetrack, so you can't make mistakes. And, and he trusted you, you know, right from the get go. So he, he was a very faithful guy, and they put a lot of trust in him. But at the same time, he expected a lot out of you. Yeah. So this is a question I ask every guest I have because everybody moved from somewhere to be somewhere to, be, to become who they are. So the the move from Duluth, Minnesota, down to Georgia, was that a car, a pickup truck, a U-Haul? There's been such a variety, everything from some little beater car to tow something. truck. Yeah, tow trucks. <laughs> <laughs> so fancy. So so what did when Greg Anderson moved from Minnesota to go to Warren Johnson's? What'd you move down there in? I jumped in my little four-wheel drive S10 Chevy pickup truck and, and packed up the few belongings I had. I think I had just bought a house like a year before that or something. It was all settled in. I had a German Shepherd dog and everything, lived on my own, and basically just shut it down, gave the dog to my folks, put the house up for sale, jumped in the pickup truck, and, and went to Georgia, you know, not knowing if it would work out or not, but still I kind of knew, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I can at this. I'm going to make it work, and, and I did. So it never looked back. was down there for 12 years, and, and I've never been back to Minnesota basically since. Wow, that's what you call getting all in right away. You gave the dog away, Jeff. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> dog away. Normally the dog's the last thing to go. <laughs> the wife and all that goes before the dog. <laughs> I wish I had that dog back, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, 
It was all about drag racing. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny how sometime career paths go the same. I moved from the uh, from the St. Louis area down to the Carolinas in '91, and uh, the, I didn't have a return option. I couldn't. I didn't have a job to go back to, so I had to make it work. And it sounds like you, you moved knowing you were going to make it work. So. As you're working through Warren Johnson and Kurt Johnson, you said that you guys, he sent you to a driving school, to Roy Hill's driving school. And when you come back from that school, did you have a, a different outlook for Warren, or did you just still think he wasn't getting the job done right? I did. Uh, first thing I learned when I got to Warren, <laughs> to, to Roy's school, I jumped in the car the first time. Of course, Roy, he knew me you know, for a long time, and he's like, he had a bunch of people at the at the school that day that had never been in anything or never been around race cars. So I was going to be the guinea pig. I was going to be the one that would show all these rookies how to do it. And I jumped in that car the first time. I couldn't even do a burnout. I couldn't do anything right. It's like your mind completely. There's so many things to do inside of that car. When you rev that engine up and drop the clutch, even to start a burnout, it's like there's 15 other things you got to think of and do. And it's like your mind can't process all of it. So completely went mind brain dead and, and, Shut the car off, get out of the car, and Roy yells at you, as Roy would, would always do, and uh, get back in the car and show him how to do it again. And, and basically for the whole first day, it was pretty ugly. And uh, went home that night and, and basically wanted to uh, chop my head off, as you've seen me before, after a tough loss or whatever, and, and didn't hardly want to go back. So I probably drank a little bit too much that night, went back to second <laughs> Cool, and things just went smooth as silk. <laughs> I've seen Apparently, that. Apparently, I couldn't think. My head hurt too much. I couldn't think anymore. And that's what it took to be able to drive the car. Your brain went numb, and you weren't trying to think of 19 things at once. And all of a sudden, you could drive a race car. So, a crazy story, but it's the same story I've used every time I've brought a new driver on and they made their first attempt at a burnout or whatever. Tell you what you got to do you got to go out, you got to drink too much tonight. Come on back. <laughs> Come on back tomorrow, and you'll be a whole lot better. Those nerves will be calm, and you'll be, you'll be good to go. <laughs> well, that's cool. So when you went back to Warren's and you talked to him after you come back from Roy Hood School, what did you do from there? How long did you stay there? What was the next steps in your career? Well, obviously, I needed the job. You know, I needed the job and, and a little bit different scenario than his son, Kurt. His Kurt had a little more flexibility. So, like I said, he was out looking for a job and, and, and got a ride in a car the next day with myself. We had a lot going on. Warren's winning, winning races and winning championships. And, you know, I'm the crew chief, so I can't just up and leave him. And I honestly, you know, did believe at the time that, that he would only drive another year or two. So I just basically minded my P's and Q's and, and held tight and, and waited for him to say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to drive next year. I'm going to give you a shot. But it went on probably another two, three years. And finally the light came on in my head that he was not going to get out of the car soon that I better look elsewhere. But it definitely, I never thought about driving a race car before that happened. It was his fault. He's the one that sent us to a school. I was happier than, than a pig in, in poop being a crew chief and working on cars. Oh, so, so Warren oh. Johnson actually created the desire for you he to drive. Created, he created the whole desire. I had no desire to drive. I loved working on a race car. That's what I'd done all my life. He created it by trying to teach us a lesson, basically. So he's uh, to blame or to credit, whatever you want to say. And, and, you know, he's probably, he's been a little cool over the years, a little bit cold, our, our relationship ever since I left. And, uh, you know, especially now that I've gotten close and, and broke his record, our relationship's a little bit cold. But you've got to remember, he created it. He started this whole problem. <laughs> I would still be there working for him, turn wrenches, if it wasn't for that decision he made. 
Well, beautiful. Let's take a break and come back and talk from there. We're talking to drag racer Greg Anderson, currently the man in uh, NHRA Drag Racing Series. Uh, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Greg Anderson on the line. He is currently the man in drag racing. Mike Wallace, take it away. As the man is an understatement. The guys won 99 races, five championships, and uh, doesn't seem to be uh, ready to slow up any yet. So we're going to go back to blaming Warren Johnson, Greg, on your desire to drive a race car. So he, he sent you to school. You come out of there. You're going to hang out for a couple years because you think you're going to drive a Warren Johnson car, except Warren doesn't retire, and you apparently like to drive inside. So you, you did what then? Well, like I say, I bided my time for a couple couple years, couple three years, and now Kurt's out racing a car full time. But you know, we were still having a good time with Warren. He was still winning races, winning championships, so still kind of at the height of my crew chief type career. So I was okay doing that, but still looking like you know what? I'm 37, getting to be 37 years old now. If I'm ever going to try this driving gig, it's it's really I need to get going at this. I can't wait much longer. So I happened to meet. A girl at the racetrack, my future wife, Kim Kim Humphrey, who her father had a pro stock car, and I started putting some feelers out, and, and he said, look, if you ever want to want to try this, I'll give you a shot at driving this car. If you ever want to leave, I'll give you a shot at driving it. So I had a tough decision to make. Do I hang out and wait for that day that Warren steps aside, or do I take a chance, you know, going elsewhere? And, and I sat down with one of Warren's longtime very good friends that, that kind of helped us out a while, a while on the race car, and he said, look, I don't think he's ever going to quit. To be honest with you, I think you're. You want to drive this field, you're going to have to look elsewhere. So, so I did. I took that chance, and bottom line was that was in ninety, I guess ninety eight, and I think Warren ended up driving that car till, good God, at least two thousand ten, maybe. So really? It was about fifteen, ten, fifteen years he drove. So I made the right decision and, and moved on and. and uh, you know, I told Warren when I left, I sat him down and I told him I had an opportunity, and I said, look, I have no earthly idea if I can drive one of these things, but I, I I got a kick out of it when you sent me to school, and I think it's something that I just want to try. I I know I'm getting old now, and i got to give it a shot, and if I can't do this, I'll be back knocking on your door begging for my job back, but that day never came, and, and uh, I left, and, you know, it kind of started off slow, but once things got together and I was able to hire the right people around me, then things kind of took off, and... 2001 and that was basically the start of my second career which was now a driving career so so if you'll answer this question it's kind of a personal question to be honest with you but you know i i paid attention to drag racing my whole career never been actively involved in it but you know kind of hear stories listen to stories was there a little friction between you and warren johnson when you left there did he not like that move that you were going to go drive or something like that or did i maybe hear a story that wasn't true no i think you're pretty close there he was definitely definitely a little bit upset about it he certainly didn't make a big deal about it but he he definitely was very cold for a lot of years and i guess still to this day probably is he we had a great thing going together we, we absolutely were winning a lot of races together we had a great thing going i think he respected you know the job i was doing for him and i certainly respected the job he was doing and, and what he had taught me so there was a lot of mutual respect, and I guess he felt like, you know, he had done a lot for me 
and he basically was a little disappointed that it left. But bottom line was, as I said, it was his fault. He created this monster. <laughs> he made that decision that one day to, to send us to the school. And if he had never done that, then absolutely this day would not be here right now. I'd still be down there, you know, as a crew chief. So I, I don't know. It's a... Uh, Life just throws a lot of curveballs at you, and you never know how they're going to turn out. Sometimes you just got to take a chance on something, and I did, and it turned out good for me. But, yes, the truth is he's he's been a little cold ever since. <laughs> I love the way you're saying it, a little cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. So, so you got that opportunity with, I, I, I guess. This way, Mike, he has not called yet to congratulate me on breaking his record. <laughs> you, you know what I would do, Greg? You're, I'm not sitting by the phone. you're a classy dude and i you know i admire everything you've done and your dedication i think you should be the bigger person and send him some type of congratulatory gift to thank him for allowing you to break that 99 race win i always streak. find that a bottle of booze works great. yeah a bottle of liquor and go <laughs> you know boss if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be here you were the one that suggested this driving deal. <laughs> exactly right, and that's probably where that whole idea came up with over a bottle of booze one night to send us to the school. So, yeah. And maybe that's a perfect gift. Maybe that would be the exact right thing I need to do. And you may have something there, Mike. Yeah. Maybe instead of me waiting for him to call me and and thank me, congratulate me, I had to call him and thank him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you should. the season. Send that baby FedEx or UPS or something like that. and. Go from there, but so, so moving forward, Derek. I guess I a heart attack, you know. <laughs> uh, so you you went to drive for Troy Humphrey. Troy Humphrey was the father of your, I assume, present day wife. Correct. Correct. And uh, did you drive for Troy for a period of time, or did he I, own your stuff for a long time, or how that how that well, work from there? I, I drove for Troy for, I believe, two years, but it was sporadic. He didn't race full-time. He wasn't a full-time racer. He was a part-time guy. So we probably went to, I don't know, six or eight of the 24 races a year. And don't get me wrong, that was fun, but I was used to racing full-time. You know, I'd been racing full-time with Warren. So obviously my goal was to get back to full-time racing. But, you know, Troy didn't have the budget to do that. They had, a, you know, other opportunities that they had to take care of business-wise. So... It was a hobby for them, and, and it wasn't for me. It was it was a full-time gig for me. That was my job. That was my life. So I continued to look around, uh, you know, at other opportunities, and eventually after a couple of years, I took another job with another guy by the name of, of uh, Mark Powick, and I worked for him. That was Cowboy, year, right? As a Cowboy. Yeah. I worked for him as a year as a crew chief, and in that year as a crew chief, I drove his second car at a half a dozen races or so. So that went on for a year, and the next year I took a job for a guy by the name of George Marnell out of Las Vegas, whose longtime silent partner was Ken Black. It was Marnell and Black. Well, even though Mr. Black seemed to never show up at the racetrack, uh, he was a silent partner, a half partner with George Marnell. I worked for George Marnell, and I guess it was in 2000, 2001, and in that year, 2001, I drove George, George Marnell's second or spare car at five or six races i ended up winning two races that year i won bristol and i won indy in the year 2001 driving george marnell's backup car so at the end of 2001 ken black george marnell's half partner said look i've been working for with with george marnell for 20 years now supporting him and, and he's won like one race in 20 years we hired this guy to be our crew chief and he drives the car six races and he wins two races 
maybe I'll just start my own team and I'll put him behind the wheel of the driver. So that's how KB Racing all came to be, uh, basically three, four years after Troy Humphrey gave me my opportunity, uh, and Black, because I had been driving his second his spare car a couple of races, won a couple of races, he decided to start his own race team, KB Racing, and he hired me to run the team, drive the car, run the team, hire whoever I needed to hire. We built a shop here in Charlotte, and that's where it all started. So 2002 was our first full-time year together as KB Racing, and ever since then we've raced full-time, and we've won, I guess, well, I've won 99 races, and, our, and my partner, Jason Line, we took him on a couple years later, and I think he won 51 or 52 races. So together, Ken Black has won like 150 races, in the last 20 years in pro stock. So it was quite a move that he made. Not bad. But <laughs> That's pretty impressive, isn't it, Jeff? <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like some, some kind of big, big-time big dude. Forget it. Ken Black's the man. He's got 150-some wins in the last 20 years. <laughs> so pretty impressive. Man, that's outstanding. So how did you guys decide to come to the Charlotte area to start your race team? What prompted that? Well, you... well Ken was out of Las Vegas, right? So he's like, look, where do you want, where do you want this shop to be? And, and you know, I had been in Atlanta, and then I moved to Jacksonville, North Carolina, right? So I married my wife. Her family's in Jacksonville, North Carolina. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this deal full-time, Atlanta's not a bad place to be, but I think Charlotte would be better. I, I thought about Indianapolis. That's certainly a good race hub also. But I just, because of the fact of Charlotte being so centrally located and, and in such a good race area, anything you needed in the race industry is here. And, you know, air, it's a major air, airport for U.S. Air at the time. You could get direct flights anywhere you needed to go. And it was within four hours of my in-laws. So those three things together, I, I elected to, to put roots down in Charlotte. And that's what we did. And, and it's been absolutely the best decision I could have made. It's, you know, I was able to get Jason Lyon through that. He worked over at, at Gibbs, Joe Gibbs in, in, in NASCAR. And I was able to bring him on and several other of my other employees that, that still work for me today came out of NASCAR shops, which, you know, any other location I would have picked, that wouldn't have happened. So, you know, we've had a lot of success, and I, I fully believe the most, the thing I'm the most proud of about this whole deal is not the, the 99 wins or the five championships. It's the team I've assembled. That That's what I'm the most proud of, and that's what's got me to where I'm at today, and that's the most important thing that I learned in all those years working with Warren Johnson. You're only as good as the people around you, and you know, when he, he gave me the, the keys to the team and he said, hire whoever you think you need to hire, I knew exactly from all the years of racing, I knew exactly who I wanted for each position, who I thought would be the best at this particular position. And I, and because of the relationship apparently I had built with everybody over years past and, you know, I always treated everybody right, I was able to, to, to land everyone I, I sought after and got them all hired and, and basically assembled my dream team. And we took off. And really, that's, that's the whole deal. When you assembled that dream team, because that's interesting to me, were those guys or gals, were they all drag racers at the time? I know you mentioned Jason Line. I'd like to just set hook on that in a minute from now, but were, were they from the race world, or did you know kind of out there in the NASCAR world, the motorsports world, that there was other people you wanted to have involved in your program? So the, the core of the group that I started the first year were all drag racing people. You know, one was a crew chief at Mark Powicks, which I had raced for, with him a couple years previous. So I, I, he, Mark basically brought me on to tutor his new up-and-coming crew chief, and his name was Rob Downing. So I tutored him for that year that I was there, and, you know, he became obviously one of the greatest crew chiefs ever. So I, I got him. 
Um, Jeff Purley I brought in. He had, he had spent years down at Warren's with me working down there, so I knew him from years past, and, and the rest of the group I, was all people that I knew from the drag race industry that I basically raced with or against over the last 10, 15 years. So, yes, the Jason Line was an afterthought. I, I didn't even realize I grew up 30 miles from him in Minnesota, and I didn't even realize he was here. I didn't even realize he worked for Gibbs. That was a chance meeting one night. That was a what meeting, you say? That was a chance meeting. I was actually over at at uh, Jerry Hemmingson's over at Jericho Transmissions, and we were dynoing one of my engines. And Jason happened to stop by that night. He knew Jerry also. He would. He happened to stop by that night. We were trying to dyno this engine, and he's like, you know, I, I do this every day of my life. Looks like you guys could use some help with this. <laughs> and he was right. He was 100 percent right. We uh, we were not very good at it, and we were beginning. I had been a car guy all my life. I wasn't an engine guy. So I needed to learn about engines now with my own race team. And, and he came in and he said, look, I think I can help you guys. And uh, he jumped in and he started helping us in the evenings and on the weekends. And by the end of that year, we were able to convince him to leave Gibbs and come to work for us. And that's kind of when our engine department took off. I brought in him and he, he helped me bring in a guy by the name of Joe Hornick, who was very sharp in, in, in the engine world too. It worked for Gibbs also. And he worked with us for a couple of years also. And, you know, between the two of them, Jason and, and Joe Hornick, they basically taught me how to build engines, and and they built the engines, and, and we uh, we went to the top of the class, went to the head of the class. So, so to elaborate on that just a little bit, up until the time you got with Jason and Joe or whatever, you were a crew chief chassis guy. You, you weren't the motor guy. You weren't the tune-up guy on Warren's car or anything. Is that what you're saying? That's right. I was firewall back. Okay. Warren was firewall forward. I was firewall and everything back behind that. Clutch, oh. transmission, rear end, uh, everything that had to do with anything from the firewall back. That's what I did. And basically didn't do anything engine-wise. Once in a while, I would go in the engine room at Warren's and, and pull a set of cylinder heads on an engine if they were behind or whatever. But Kurt was the basically the engine assembler and the dynoer, and, and Warren was the designer and the, and the idea guy, the R&D guy and constantly building, you know, intake manifold and cylinder. He did all cylinder head work. So they were the engine guys. I was a car guy, and when I came here and, and hired Rob Downing to be my crew chief, well, I didn't need to be a car guy anymore. So I learned how to work on engines, and I learned how to work on engines basically from Jason Line and Joe Hornick. And uh, now that's all I do. I, I don't Hold, hold that thought. It. Hold that thought. We're going to take a break and come right back. We're talking to Pro Stock World Champion Driver, Pro Stock Champion Crew Chief Greg Anderson. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're talking to drag racer Greg Anderson. Mike, take it away. Yeah, we're, we're not talking just a drag racer, Greg Anderson. We're talking a world champion greg anderson and we're into the story of where he's become a great car owner and he's stepping up his motor program a little bit he was a car guy so getting back to jason line uh that's intriguing to me because i i'd heard as i told you earlier i just keep my tab a little bit on different racings and i heard this jason line guy had worked at gibbs and all of a sudden he's over at greg anderson's how did how did jason line how did it work that you allowed him that early into the program to be a driver of one of your cars well you know obviously so he started coming over as i said kind of started coming over evenings and weekends and helping us but had this big time nascar job he was lead a, a dyno operator over gibbs right 
and he was, you know, kind of Mark Cronquist's right-hand man over there. Okay. Mark, Mark, obviously the head engine builder, Jason was kind of his right-hand man. Mark had brought Jason down from Minnesota personally. So had a great relationship over there. He had a great thing going. But he had started out drag racing also. He had actually won a stock eliminator world championship in like 1993 or four. So, you know, he had drag race roots, but obviously not a lot of money in drag racing. So he left that for this great opportunity to come work for Gibbs years before that. So I think he was five or six years into his gig at Gibbs when, when this all came about. And we started talking at the end of the year and I knew I couldn't like outbid Joe Gibbs, as far as salary-wise goes, the you know, money-wise goes, so I offered the carrot. I got with my team owner, Ken Black, and I said, you know, what if we offered Jason the chance to drive one of these pro-stock cars? Because he made no bones about it. He had always had a desire to drive a pro-stock car. So we offered him the, the carrot of driving a pro-stock car at a decent salary if he would leave Joe Gibbs and come to work with us full-time. And, and he, uh, he jumped at the opportunity. And he, you know, the day he told Joe Gibbs and he told Mark Cronquist, they're like, okay. And Joe Gibbs told Cronquist, he's like, look, don't bother filling his spot because he'll be back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what Joe told Cronquist, and, and he didn't for a couple months. And Jason never went back. He's still here. So <laughs> I guess Joe was wrong. And there's just something about this drag race deal, Mike. I don't know what it is, but it's it's just a, a lot of fun. And, and what Jason loved about it, he's an engine guy, what, not necessarily a driver guy. He wanted to drive one, but that wasn't all it for him. He loves to work on engines, and he loves the fact that, you know, he, he had come from the NASCAR world where, where rules were getting so tight over there on the engines and what you could do with the engines that it was just becoming a lot less fun to do be in the engine department over there. So this was kind of a an opportunity to basically – spread your wings and do whatever you wanted to do with an engine. And he loved that part of it. So that's the other reason he jumped to this opportunity. He's an engine guy. He loves to work on engines, build engines, make power. And, uh, you know, he loved the opportunity to come work on a, basically a kind of an unlimited type engine. Yes, we have a lot of rules too, but nothing near as many as the NASCAR engine rules. So he, uh, he jumped at it between that and the chance to drive a car. So that's, uh, that's how that all started, and it's it's been a great run ever since. And as I said, yeah, I got ninety nine wins, but he got fifty some himself. So yeah, that's pretty impressive. Help. Yeah. So so when you uh, you mentioned you hired him, and then you guys went to the top of the class, and what's weird, I I remember all that time. Even you guys were just bam, all of a sudden it appeared, and I might be saying this wrong. It's like wow, where these guys come from? They're like yeah, winning everything. Does. 2003, four, and five, we were absolutely the kings, and, and we won a lot, a lot of races. One of those, I think, 2004, I won 15 of the 24 races, and, and just an incredible year. And, and because we had a power advantage over everybody, between what Jason Lyon was able to do and him and Joe Hornick together, what they were able to do, and some of the ideas, obviously, that they had brought with them from working in NASCAR land, they were able to make our program go forward. So. Uh, it's uh, it's been quite a run, yeah. but that's how it all started. That's that's cool. So so the Jason, I know that this shows about you, but Jason fits into your 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 career and success. What, did you allow Jason to drive immediately when he come there, or was that a year or two down the road? It was a year later. It was a year he worked on it the first year, and then the second year we gave him the opportunity to drive one. And I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't even bring this up, 
but the <laughs> all right, nobody's gonna know. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> a million crazy. people listening, but don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, probably a lot of people know the story, and hopefully Jason's not listening. So the first race he ran would have been Columbus, Ohio, and I believe it was in 2003. Okay, and built him a brand Jerry Haas, built him a brand new car, and it was a day that. It was a racetrack that, for some reason, it was it was 95 degrees out, and the racetrack was just about impassable. And it was middle of it was middle of June, I think, is when the race. I think it was Father's Day weekend, and it was absolutely the worst track racetrack I ever remember being on. And here's this guy in a pro stock car for his first race, first attempt at, at driving one of these cars and racing it, and he got through qualifying fine. And then we came to first round on Sunday morning, and I remember sitting, I, I think I was in the water box, the next pair behind him. He went down there, and the car got out of the groove, and it kept, you know, veering toward the center line, and pretty soon by the eighth mile, it turned 90 degrees and upside down into the wall and on fire and tumbling and, and looked like the end of the world. Wow. So the very first race he raced, he went up in flames. He crashed, <laughs> destroyed a brand-new car, and uh, obviously, uh, thankfully, he wasn't hurt, but he jumped out of that car and, and – uh, you know, he went to our team owner, Ken Black, and he's like, Ken, I am so sorry. I've destroyed your car. And Ken looked at him, and he said, look, as long as you're not hurt, we can replace that damn car. Now get busy and find a way to make Greg win this damn race. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, we've got a job to do yet today. So it was kind of funny, and uh, he took it on the chin, and he jumped back in. We got him another car, and he was back at it at the next race and never had a problem ever since. So it was quite an auspicious debut, but – from there, it was nowhere but up. Uh, wonderful. Hey, who was Ken Black, or who is Ken Black? What, what, where did I know he was a? He's your well, team like owner. Ken but... Black, yep, Ken Black is out of Las Vegas. He was a partner of George Marnell when they when George Marnell raced pro stock. But Ken Black had a big house framing company in Las Vegas, and I'm talking like like you know thousands of houses a month they would frame. So the big house framing company. So he had done well. And he had some money to spend, and he just loved drag racing. Apparently, he had done it in his younger years, but he was, you know, old, older now and didn't do it anymore. So he put all his faith in us and bought a, you know, basically bought a pro stock team and, and hired me to, to run it and, and hire people to, to run it with him. So he's uh, he's been our team owner, our quarterback ever since. Great guy, fantastic guy, and he still lives in Las Vegas. Okay, great. I mean, I've heard his name. A lot of people have heard the name, and but That's it's like, who, who is that person? Team. You know, yeah, we call it KB Racing, and it's because of him, Ken Black. Yeah. So after Jason Lyon, you guys start that year. You got you're going to run a two car team. Jason goes up and smoked the first first run, basically uh, first round or however you want to say that. And then uh, just you guys are just on this roll. You got all these people in place. Or you you are the leader. You're the boss, and you're driving the the main car, and you, you've hired everybody you want. And Jason's running the motor department. Does everything just kind of go status quo? We got any hiccups along the way? I mean, we know racing hiccups, but anything set you back or anything yeah, at any time during that? Nothing major, Mike. We uh, we race basically under the, uh, the the Vegas General Construction banner on the race car. That was Ken's company. We raced with that banner on the side of the car for two, three years. I won the, the championship in 2003, four, and five. Um, and then kind of jason hit his stride and he won the next two years so i think we won five years in a row and, and bottom line was yes we had a we had a power advantage on these guys because of you know what jason brought to us so it, it was quite a run and quite a start and 
I can't tell you how many races I would have won by now if it wasn't for Jason, because obviously I lost a whole bunch to him. You know, I created my own my own uh, worst enemy, obviously. I hired my own assassin when I hired him, but it still brought so many, you know, benefits to the team that it was still the right decision, and, and you know, together as a team, we're able to win all these races anyway. So it, it's been a great run. It's still going. He, he retired from driving at the end of last year. He kind of got tired of the traveling part of it. He's got two young kids now. And uh, he just wanted to stay in the shop and work on engines, which is his first passion. So this year was the first year that he didn't drive, and he basically stayed in the shop all year. And and crazy thing is, we somehow we were able to create a little bit of a performance gap again this year on a competition, and then I was able to win quite a few races and had a lot of number one qualifiers and won a championship. So I guess it turned out for the better. It's been a little bit tougher at the racetrack without him, and obviously his tuning abilities at the racetrack. But the benefit, obviously, of him staying at the shop here and working while we're going at the racetrack paid dividends. Now, are you your own tuner at the racetrack, or have you put someone in I, that position now that handles? I am my I am my own tuner since we switched to fuel injection four or five years ago. Now we we do you know all of our tuning with a daggone laptop, which I didn't even know how to turn a laptop on four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I had a steep learning curve, and and so did Jason. You know, he's used to carburetors. He's a carburetor guru, and and. Loves working with carburetors, so we all kind of went into this fuel injection era, kicking and screaming. But it ended up turning out to be a a pretty good deal for us. The first year they came out with fuel injection, I think, was 16. And between the two of us, Jason and I, I think we won 17 or 18 of the 24 races. So <laughs> I, I, it ended up being a blessing in disguise, I guess. And that whole new reshake the deck and re redeal the cards with a complete new rules package. It turned out to be. You know, we, we took the most advantage of it, I guess. So I guess it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it was great. I remember, re- you know, watching that year racing, and I remember hearing you guys talk about the fuel injection, and it, it appeared you had a uh, quite an advantage on the field at that time. Well, we felt like complete dummies. We're like we knew nothing about it, knew absolutely nothing about it. We complained all year about it, but we won 18 of the 24 races. So I, I don't know. I guess we we just did least worst in class, apparently. <laughs> Did least worst. You ever hear that one, Jeff? Yeah. Did <laughs> l- least worst in class. Yeah. I mean, we felt so stupid. We do. Like I say, we, we we absolutely hardly knew how to turn a laptop computer on. And, and you do everything with a stupid laptop anymore. You tune everything about the engine, every single run, with through this laptop. So. How is it, <laughs> it then? Quite a learning curve. How is it then with the rules that are in place that you can, as a team, can gain an advantage? Over the rest of the field, you know what I mean? Are you generating more horsepower? As it is, is, is... Well, well, there were several different things that they changed. They also, at the same time, they, they switched to fuel injection. They put a cap on the engine RPM you could run in the class, which, you know, that was one of our, I guess, advantages for all those years. We were able to find a way to make our engine run, engines run higher RPM than the rest of the class sooner, basically. And, and that was kind of the advantage we had. Well, it was getting a little bit out of hand, I guess, and then obviously parts attrition was probably a little bit high because of the RPM we were running. We were up close to 12,000 RPM with 500 cubic inch carbureted engines. So they they clamped down and they said, okay, 10.5 is going to be the new RPM limit. We're going to cap you off. We're going to put a rev limiter on the cars. So that was one major change. They changed where you had to run fuel injection. So you did completely away with the carburetor, and they, they made you run a an air duct from the bottom of the grill of the front of the car into the front of the intake manifold. So we all had to completely redesign our 
our intake manifolds and the way we brought the air into the engine and, and figure out how to tune fuel injection. And I forget, there was a couple other minor changes they made also. So it, it basically, it completely re, re, rebuilt the whole deck. And, and there was just a whole bunch of things that people had to learn about now having to find a way to get the air into the engine from the front instead of the top. We took a, we did away with the hood scoops. That was another thing we did. Hood scoops went away. And you now have no more, no longer have a hood scoop on the car. So it was a lot of changes, and it, it basically, the bottom line was it was about a 40, 50 horsepower drop because of the way you had to bring the engine or the air into the engine without the hood scoop, and and uh, you know the the RPM limit. So you know we've all been busy for the last five, six years trying to get back to where we were with carburetors five or six years ago. But right. it, it just changed everything. It changed the whole way you thought about bringing the air into your engine and. and you just basically had to go back to the drawing board, and somehow we uh, we got to jump on them. All right. You got a few more minutes to hang out with you. We can take another break and come yeah. out just for a short time? Yes, sir. All right. We're talking to five-time NHRA Camping World Pro Stock World Champion driver Greg Anderson. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. Today's guest, drag racer, Greg Anderson. Take it away, Mike. Well, Greg, we were talking about how you just kind of rid your mind, clutter or whatever of things. So tell me about KV Racing today. Where is it at? I noticed that as Jason Line retired from being a driver, still a influential part of the race team in the engine department and other parts i'm sure i've noticed there's other drivers that sound like they have an affiliation with you from a technical side or do they drive for you now okay well we've got a little bit of everything mike so when jason basically got out of the car well we've kind of got an empty slot so to speak um i've got a guy that's been working for me for i don't know probably five ten years now as a mechanic it kind of rings a bell as a kind of similar story to myself. He's a mechanic. He drives my truck. He is an all-around guy. He services the clutch. That's, that's his main job at the racetrack during the weekend. Uh, he did on Jason's car. So he was able to find sponsorship this year. His name is Dallas Glenn. He was able to find sponsorship this year. Came to me and said, look, if I bring sponsorship in, can I take a crack at driving Jason's car? And he's been a a bracket racer he's driven a lot of, of, of bracket type cars you know uh, sportsman type cars for a lot of years he's a 30 some year old kid and uh, just a naturally talented kid right so i said well yeah if you can bring in the money we'll give you a shot at it so he found some sponsorship in this rad torque that you've seen on the side of his car yeah and he jumped in that car at uh, the beginning of the season and i didn't have to teach him anything it's like i didn't have to tell him go out and get drunk he jumped in that car and he looked like he'd been driving it for 20 years he's went out there all year and he's won three races this year the rookie year he won the rookie rookie of the year title and he finished third in points and he was a hell of a threat towards winning that championship this year i had to fend him off he was a a, a phenomenon he was fantastic he's he's bad to the bone so he took over jason's car um i've also got several other engine rental customers that we rent either just an engine to or an engine and a complete race car. Kyle Koretsky races our third in-house car um, sponsored by Lucas Oil, and he is, is basically the third in-house car between myself, 
Kyle Koreski and Dallas Glenn. Those are the in-house cars. Um, he's a rental program. We've got two or three other rental cars that are just basically rent and engine only, but we offer tuning advice and, and other things to them also. So very busy here. It's kind of a what we've gravitated towards. It's been over the last four or five years, it's been difficult to bring in enough sponsorship to completely cover the, the, the nut, the bill here to run each year. So we've found another way to bring in an alternative to sponsorship dollars, and that's basically rental income by renting pro stock rides and renting pro stock engines. So with all those rental programs and everything, we've been able to keep the operation going, and uh, it's been fun. And now I've got, like just years ago when I you know, gave Jason the ride, I've uh, hired two or three or four or five more assassins to shoot my own foot off again. So it's made it tougher again for me to win. And, you know, they're racing the best equipment we could possibly build here. It's the same stuff that I race. And uh, I've got to find a way to, to go out there and race these young cats that, that have absolutely no problem clearing the clutter out of their mind and, and, and cutting reaction times like other world leagues. So that's what I'm up against these days. And I obviously keep advancing in age, and that part of the game gets more and more difficult for me. And now I've got all these young guys in here that have no problem with it, and, and they're in the best equipment that money can buy also. So it's tough, and I, I thank my lucky stars. I was able to hold them off this year. And, uh, you know, as I said the other day and, and whoever I was talking to, it came down to myself and, and Erica Enders for the for the championship. And, you know, she's obviously a great racer too, but I think the both of us are feeling like we dodged a bullet by dodging all these young guns that are in the class now. The way they cut reaction times out there, it's it's uh, it's incredible. And uh, we dodged a bullet, I think, by holding them off this year and, and bringing it down to just a battle between the two of us this year. But going forward, we're, uh, we're scared to death. Yeah, well, you know, if I may compliment you, which I that's why you're here because you're you're great. You you were pretty spot on on that tree numbers, if I remember right, that last race. I mean, I don't think you left we, any any young stuff grow under you there. Well, you know, these 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 young cats that are in there now, they 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 forced my hand. I've had to find a way to improve my game, to up my game. Otherwise, get out. How how did As you I do said, that? What 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 you do to do seriously? What do you do? to try to up your game. I mean, you're, you're so good at this. You've won so many races. You're a champion. What can Greg honestly, Anderson keep doing to, to be who you are? Honestly, Mike, it's, it's, it's finding a way to, to dumb yourself down, to simple things up, and, and to find a way to go up there and be able to just focus on that little bulb on that Christmas tree and not worry about all the bills that KB Racing or, you know, the, the tune-up you put in the car or tune-up you put in the car next to you or whatever. You've got to find a way to clutter your mind. And for the last several years, I've had a hard time doing that. And, and I still on occasion have a hard time doing that. But it, it seems like, you know, in, in drag racing, you have to be able to do it four times in one day. You don't have to do it 100 times. you got to do it your 500 laps. you got to do it four times. If you can put that perfect package together four times, that's all you need. So it's kind of like that, uh, that that country song. I don't know how it goes. It's something about I'm not as good as I once was. Uh, Kobe, it's Toby <laughs> Keith. Come on, Jeff. Can't you know that one? Toby Keith, absolutely. I can be as good once as, as I was. ever was. was. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's kind of what it's like in drag racing. You don't have to do it every single time. You just got to do it four times on Sunday. Yeah. And, and sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. And thank the Lord I was able to do it at the last race. And, you know, timing's everything. It's, it's, it's who you get. We race at, at what time and what package they come up with versus yours. So it's a different deal, though, Mike. It's, it's 
it's so different than NASCAR. You know, in NASCAR, you got a 500 lap race or 400 lap race, whatever it is. People don't notice if, say, that driver had a bad lap or whatever. He missed a corner or whatever, right? Because you try and make it up on the next lap. And I don't know. It's it drag racing. You get one shot at it. It's sudden death every time we go up there. And they notice when you make a mistake, you're done. You know, and, and everybody notices. You go home. That, it's a tough pill to that, That's amazing that you say that because I, uh, my wife and I were watching the finals. Uh, a longtime friend of ours, Steve Johnson, who rides pro stock motorcycles. Steve, yep. Steve was Steve had a shot to be, you know, at it. And yep. He'd shot himself in the foot a few weeks before that, and off and on. And I was telling her we we're watching you win, and and I says, you know, the the hard thing about drag racing, and I admire her so much. You have no room for error. Yeah, yeah I says at least the oval track world. Up. You know, you, you you miss a corner and you go and you make five more laps, you make that up, you know. Drag racing, you miss it by a microsecond of a second. And you're done. You're done. You load up and go home, <laughs> yeah. you know. Go home. Yep. Yeah. I remember Warren. I remember Warren. He's a bit of a smart ass, you know. And I remember he used to say, you know, those guys out there, they don't have a clue. They, they go out there and they, they try for 30 laps, and then they got to come in and ask directions every 30 laps. <laughs> <laughs> he was the hack on the NASCAR guys that way. So yeah. it's not quite bad, but, but you get to kind of regroup once in a while and, and you know, kind of change your game a little bit. Oh, I agree with you. I agree. And that's why I admire what you do so much. And, uh, I mean, you're, you, you are the best. You're you're on top of the world. You're the very best there is in the sport. And uh, you know, I possibly I would think Jeff. When you think, I mean, his, his numbers kind of almost establish him as the goat of, of pro stock racing, right? And it's been over, you know, quite a period of time too. I mean, pro stock world champion 2003, four, five, 2010, 2021. Crazy I mean? numbers, consistent. Let me ask you one more thing before we let you go here, and and I. I want all the fans to realize when you were talking about, you know, going out and focusing for those four times on a Sunday and doing your job that we all see, we don't see what goes on behind the scenes. So I know KB Racing has got someone else's name on it, but are you in charge of KB Racing? Are you like all the, all the way yeah. I call it sponsors, financials, everything? Is that on your shoulders or do you have a lot of people there doing that no, for you? I it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I, you know, the, the kind of the nucleus of our, our core group here is myself, Jason Line, and Rob Downing, my crew chief. We've been together for the 20 years this team's been in existence, and we try to make all of our our big decisions by committee. We, we, you know, I don't say, look, I don't care what you guys think. Here's what I'm going to do. Yes, I am in charge, but I absolutely take what the two of them want want to do, and we weigh it all in, and we make group decisions on everything. That's the way we've done it for 20 years, right or wrong. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm the boss, but the bottom line is I don't run it like a dictatorship. Uh, I definitely value their opinion and, and value their knowledge, and that's why I hired them. I hired them because they were the best at what they do, and I use them for that. So that's kind of how we run things here. We run things kind of by committee, the three of us together. I heard a saying many years ago, Greg, a great boss is a great delegator. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't surround yourself with good people and rock and roll. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what it's all about. The people is what yeah. it's all about. And over the years, I've kind of chuckled at some of the teams that have come in with, with maybe deep pockets, big money or whatever, but they just don't put enough emphasis on the people part of it. And the people part is everything. 
Well, Greg Anderson, all I can say is you're the champ, bud. Keep it up. Thank you for taking your time today. I hope if Jeff Kent and I call you, you'll give us a little tour of KB Racing. We'd love to come by and uh, that'll be fun. Since you're right here in Concord, North Carolina. Yeah, they're in Mooresville. Up there at the drag strip. Yeah, so absolutely, boys. Anytime, give me a holler. All right, we appreciate it. Congratulations to you and the whole race team. Continued up. Hey, is there any room in there? for an older guy that doesn't want to work on the car i don't want to do anything i just want to drive that baby one time <laughs> hey greg I, I, and i can handle your social media <laughs> okay so we're bringing something to the table all right we'll do it thank you very much really appreciate it all right Joe, you've been right, listening to fast car to nascar with mike waddles on the speed sport podcast network presented by crosley and nascar digital media we'll see you next week